What is up, people? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today. Of course, we'll be talking about the NBA playoffs. We now have our official Final Four, the NBA Conference Finals R&D set. The Warriors and the Mavericks will be representing the Western Conference Finals, while the Heat and Celtics will be playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. Playing the preview in both of those series, we'll, we'll have a full breakdown of that. We'll also talk about the conference semifinals that just wrapped up and several teams that were championship contenders end their season in major disappointments. We'll talk about uh, the, the, the championship windows, whether or not those windows are closing for some of those teams, what some of those teams' offseason outlook is, and, and what the future holds for some very key players on these teams. So this should be a really great conversation. Joining me is my co-host, Kendall Stewart. Kendall, always great to have you on today. I know you coming in on this Monday, fresh off a Boston Celtic Game 6, I was Game 7 victory. I'm sure you're quite enthused and quite excited to be on Sports Talk today. How are you feeling? Yeah, EJ, I'm feeling great. I mean, the Celtics, like you said, got to – got it was looking tough, you know, looking rough for a little bit after Game 5, but – um. You know they hunkered down and they 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 played great uh, in games six and seven and yeah uh, going on to the Eastern Conference Finals for what is a rematch slash revenge series for the Celtics um, from that twenty twenty bubble season bubble playoffs Eastern Conference Finals where the Heat uh, bested the Celtics uh, fairly easily. Uh, relatively easily so uh you know in a series where you know they were the Celtics were huge favorites going in so um you know it'll be interesting to see how the series goes and we'll dive into it but yeah that that that's going to be super exciting and then I'm very excited to talk about the West as well so um yeah and and honestly I think the even more interesting topic is not even the teams that won but the teams that lost I agree with that man (laughs) I'll tell you what when I was crafting this show I didn't want to do it because I feel like there's a responsibility to talk about the teams that are still playing. But, man, I, I, there was a part of me I wanted to leave with. So let's talk about this James Harden and this Phoenix Sun debacle. Like, there was a very much a big part of me that thought that maybe that should lead the show simply because of I, I felt like the losses in these semifinals, Kendall, were, like, just kind of surreal. I think almost all of them. I think, you know, the Grizzlies – you know, we know all the trash out they had with the Warriors during that series. And then John Morant is hurt, and and they win Game Five, but they, of course they lose Game Six by having the lead. And then, you know, I mean, I start about we start with going what went on in Philly with James Harden and then B being injured and Doc Rivers. It seems like everything. And then the Suns thing last night was just I I still don't know what to make of what happened last night. I'm gonna have to figure out what to make of it in about 20 minutes when we talk about it. But I mean these. These losses were, to me, almost way more of the story than even these wins. And I was very uh, I was very tempted to say, you know what, let's just start off right there. But, but you know, I think there's a responsibility to, to, to indeed preview these series that are coming up. But, no, it, it, definitely some big storylines that will be heading, uh, that will be leading these teams into their off seasons, And we will get to plenty of them. Let's, let's start off with... The conference finals. So, like I said, after a dramatic second round, we have our NBA version of the Final Four. The Western Conference Finals will feature the Dallas Mavericks against the Golden State Warriors, while the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat 
will play in the Eastern Conference Finals. All of these teams had to either win a Game 6 or a Game 7 to advance to the Conference Finals. Kendall asks you this, which of these squads remaining do you feel like is the team to beat here on out? Uh, I, you know, I'm probably not the best person to ask, obviously, because I'm a Celtics <laughs> fan. I mean, um, okay. I'm going to take the Celtics out of it. I, I you know, I, I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not I mean, going to talk you, about do you, I mean, do you have a case for the Celtics to be the team to beat? I mean, if you do, I think that would be interesting. For yeah, the look, I think there's a case. I mean, again, I, I you know, I, you always feel weird because I'm like, look, I'm, 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 a, I'm a Celtics fan, so I don't even feel good about my case because I'm like, it may be a slanted, but I will say, you know, I mean, Jason Tatum was playing at an extremely high level. Um, if you're talking about all the players remaining in the tournament, I mean, obviously Steph is really dangerous. Luka's obviously a great player in his own right, but but when Tatum is is, is playing at a really high level, um, he may be the best guy left in, in the league. So um, when you have that and then you have Jalen Brown, who when he's playing at a high level might be the best number two left in the in the in the tournament as well um you know depending on how you feel about you know bam or depending on how you feel about clay thompson uh clay thompson i guess but, but you know i mean clay's still he's still coming back from his injury a little bit so uh, you say that i i you know, he, he looked like regular game six clay thompson to me when I yeah, saw him yeah, yeah yeah exactly um so so that that Honestly, I mean that that that's where it starts. But yeah, I mean also just the way they defend at, at such a high level as do the Dallas Mavericks, and um, and the way they sort of beat themselves up already in this in this in this playoffs. I mean they dominated Brooklyn. Uh, it, was, it was a close four game sweep, but a four game sweep. And then you know the Milwaukee series, the series that you know could have been over in five or six games that that it had to go seven because of some. Some blunders on this on the Celtics part, and that you can't have those to win a championship. But it does tell you that this team has a very high ceiling. So those are the arguments for the Celtics. But all four teams have an argument. I, I would say of the other three, I would um, I would say the team as a Celtics fan that would probably give me the most concern is the um, is probably the Golden State Warriors. I mean, offensively they're they're really really good i know they struggled in in some of those games with with with, with mike brown especially uh games uh what was it uh, f- five and four, six and five. Five. Yeah, yeah, four, four and five yeah four and five yeah 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 game games four and five yeah, you know, they, they, they struggled for some of game six too but yeah definitely game four and five yeah and so um but you know steve Kerr is back uh, we'll see. Uh, I know they're, they they they're gonna be trying to get GP two back as well during the series. See how that that how that you know that can open some things up for some guys you know who have had to step up defensively in his absence and now you know maybe have a lighter load with with with, with Peyton back. But um, but yeah, I mean that that I think I would look at Golden State as the team to beat when Steph's playing at a high level, when Clay's playing at a high level, and Jordan Poole and Wiggins are playing at a high level. They're so deep and talented offensively that um, they're the team that gives you the most fear. But I also say, I mean, again, I said Tatum may be the best guy, but when Luka's playing at a really high level, he's probably the best guy in the league. So, um, you know, that's left in the in the in the playoffs. So it's 
you know, you know, and I didn't mention Miami, but Miami may be the deepest of all these teams. They have about five or six guys that can beat you by themselves, you know, if they get hot. So um, it's it's a really, really even conference finals, I think, at this point. It is. I think that these are I think these are very four, all four of them are, are kind of in the same ballpark, I think, when it comes to a st- talent standpoint. And I think all of them, have, I agree, I think all of them actually have cases to, 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 to be the team to beat. I, I include Dallas Mavericks in that. One, they just beat the team that I think most people would have seen as a team to beat in the Phoenix Suns. But two, I think you would argue they'd have the best player left in the tournament. So that makes them intriguing, I think, even though they are seen as probably underdogs in this series against the Warriors. I would also say the Warriors, because I think they match, they kind of check the most boxes, I think, of all the teams left. You know, you're talking about trying to win a championship or trying to win deep in the postseason. You want, you know, number one, experience. They are by far the team with the most experience in terms of their top key players. You know, of course, some of those guys, Wiggins and Poole, have never been there. But Kerr being the head coach, Thompson, Looney, Steph, Draymond, there's plenty of other players, star players, role players on that team that have been you know, they've kind of been through the grind. They've been through the journey of what it takes to win a championship. So they check that box. You need an all-time great to kind of carry you in big moments. Again, they have that with Stephen Curry. So they check that box as well. You want depth, as you said, Kendall. They have quite a bit of that, especially when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. So they have that as well. And I think another kind of weird thing that you want to mention, and, I, and we talked about it a little bit off air, but home court advantage I think is a thing to – be take note of and i think we've seen some pretty raucous crowds at chase arena i was telling you off air how i felt the first two years of chase felt kind of weird the first year they were terrible so they really wasn't much of a home court advantage and then last year with the you know code the covid year where you know most of the time the fans weren't there and then when they were there there were limited crowds it was you know it just really it felt like the, the, the arena wasn't really broken in yet and it now feels like chase arena i'm not gonna say it's oracle but it, it, it gets loud. They have a great home crowd, and I think you're starting to see that. So they kind of check, I think, the most boxes when it comes to who you would look for in remaining favorites. So I, I would also lean the Warriors. I think they're very glad that Steve Kerr is back on the sideline. Um, as I told you off air as well, Kendall, if I was a Sacramento Kings fan, I'd be a little alarmed with what I saw from Mark Brown in these games. I'll be honest. There was some weird game management there. He's telling reporters that he didn't know the offense going into game four because all year they've been teaching him how to coach defense or they've been telling him to only focus on the defensive side of the ball. And the Warriors, you can make case their worst games of the postseason, you can argue were only the games that he coached. And I never would have thought that Steve Kerr would have been that much of a, you know, of a factor. But he appeared to be at least some factor. I think some of it, too. I thought the Warriors got a little cocky in that series. And I think they kind of had a little bit of a reality check. And Memphis is Memphis is not going to go away. Memphis is going to be a team that I think will eventually put them out the pasture. You know, Memphis, they're not ready yet to win a championship. But when the Warriors are older and they're kind of on their last legs, I think this will probably be Memphis's Western Conference by that point in time. But the Warriors, again, a little shaky on the Brown. Not sure how I'd feel if I'm a Kings fan today, even though I did like the high when I first, they first announced it. But now that Kerr is back, 
expect him to be rested and everybody back. You may, you may get GP back, if not the conference finals, and maybe for the NBA finals. Warriors, I think, would be the team to beat for me. But but going back to that 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 Eastern Conference series, Kendall, when you talk about the Celtics and the Heat, I'm not going to ask you to pick this series. I know you, you think the Celtics are going to win. Um, so I think a better question would be, what do you feel like will have to happen for the Celtics to come out with a win in this series? What are the challenges you think Miami presents that can make it tough for them? Because I think that there are plenty. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, this this is a team that presents a lot of different challenges uh, with their depth. Um, you know, man, I mean, you know, we knew that the, that the Milwaukee series was going to be physical. And if the refs officiate this series like the Milwaukee series officiated, it's, it's, it's going to be just going to be worth uh, worse, you know, in terms of being a bloodbath. I mean, it's a Miami team that is really physical, really tough, really you know, can play with some edge and some nasty. So, um, I you know I, I expect that there will be a lot of dust up. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of uh, a lot of hard fouls and whatnot. So, I, I mean. You know, again, I think that the the biggest the biggest thing that scares you about the the Miami Heat, honestly, is again their 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 ability to have you know so many threats offensively. Um, you know, Tyler Hero obviously is playing at a really high level all season. Jimmy Butler, you know, is playing really at a really high level now, but it's obviously had an excellent season in his own right when he's been healthy. Um, you know, you know what you're going to get from Bam Adebayo. Uh, Duncan Robinson, you know, can be streaky sometimes, but you know when he's making his when he's when he's feeling good. Obviously, he's one of the more you know dangerous microwave shooters in the league. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, obviously, you got Kyle Lowry and Victor Oladipo starting to play, and he's starting to play a little bit better. So, I mean, you know, this is a this again, this is and Max Struess is also playing at a high level. Yeah. Uh, you know, as well. So this this is a this is a Heat team that has that just has a lot of has just had a multitude of options offensively, a lot of shooting. Um, the the question really is, I mean, you have Jimmy Butler and, and and he is definitely the closer and he's a great player, but in those moments, is Jimmy Butler can he go shot for shot with Jason Tatum? You know, I mean, I feel like he can in the game, but you know. If over seven game series, is that sustainable, or do the Heat have to feel like, man, we've got to, we got to really take Jason Tatum out of the game because if we don't, you know, he may impose as well. But Tatum right now is playing at such a high level, not just as a scorer, but as a, just a, a playmaker. His overall floor game right now, um, and his feel for the game has been at an extremely high level. He's penetrating not just to score, but to to find the open man. Yeah. He's drawing two or three defenders because he's so dangerous in the isolation. Yeah. Teams feel like the need to, to to throw multiple defenders at him, but he's improved as a passer. He's finding the open man, and the team in general has improved at finding the open man and rotating the ball very quickly. And they have shooters really really spaced out. Sometimes five out when you've got Al Horford and Grant Williams in the front court. So there, are, I mean, there's a hard team to guard, but. You know, I feel like, you know, Miami again. They present they present challenges, and, um, you know, I, they'll they'll probably be 
you know, I think an even tougher defensive matchup than um, certainly the Brooklyn uh, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, know, even Milwaukee. Uh, obviously, you don't have to deal with Drew Holiday, and you know, may, you know, obviously, you don't have to deal with uh, Brook Lopez as a rim protector, but um, but the, this this Heat team again, they they compete at a at a high level, and they're not missing their second best player. And the one thing about the Heat defensively is they are extremely scheme disciplined. Uh, they 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 play their scheme extremely well. They play it with force and they play it with urgency, and that is dangerous when you combine the fact that they also have very good individual defensive players. You know, you know Kyle Lowry is not going to play Game One, so that is a player that's off the board that certainly will hurt them a little bit, and he's been banged up. For this pretty much this entire playoffs, but you got Jimmy Butler, you got Bam Adebayo, PJ Tucker. I think not having him in that Buck series, I think was arguably just as big as not having Chris Middleton. Honestly, because we see Tatum had some of these big games, the big game he had in Game Six, and Milwaukee really didn't really have a great person to guard Tatum. Like you know. They tried to be physical. They they, they they mucked the game up as much as they could, and I think they, they did a decent job. They pushed it to seven games, but they never really had a clear matchup for that kind of wing kind of scorer guy. It's what I thought DeRozan would do to them in game, in, in the first series, which he, he did not do after a really great game too. So that was probably not the greatest matchup from that regard. But the Heat are actually going to have some guys that can defend. And Gabe, I didn't mention Gabe Vincent, who's also a, a you know a smaller guy, but you know without Lowry, he's gonna get more time. But he's an excellent defender at the point. So this is a stellar defensive team. These are two stellar defensive teams, and that's why the series is gonna be is gonna be tough. I think the key is gonna be, I think Miami's depth, because the the the, the Celtics found they found loose change. They found money with some of the offensive production they got from Al Horford and Grant Williams. That's not something that Emi Udoka came into that series and said, I could bank on Al Horford going for 30 in a big game and Grant Williams making eight threes. That's just not something that – that, that's, that's, that's not part of the game plan. That's not something that you 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 predict going into the series. You you, you have your certain things that you're, you're kind of banking on, you're hoping for, and then sometimes you just found – you find money on the ground. You find loose change. And those things happen for the Celtics. I feel like in order for them to beat the Heat, you're going to have to have more of those type of performances because the Heat, I don't want to say that it's not lost chains, but for whatever reason, the Heat just always seem to get these guys out of nowhere who play great. And I I don't know if it's their system, how they prepare these guys. I don't know what it is, but I guarantee you Vic Oladipo is going to have a 20-point game in this series. I guarantee you Max Schroes is going to have a 20-point game in this series. I guarantee you... You know, Hero, who's one of their star players, but he's going to get 31 of these games. Like, the Heat, just the way they, they're role players and, and, and the confidence that they play with, you can bank on, you know, P.J. Tucker can get five threes one of these games. They're going to get something from those guys. I think right. for the Celtics, they're going to have to bank on their role players continuing to play at a high level the way Grant Williams did on both sides of the floor, the way Al did offensively, the way Peyton, Peyton uh, Pritchard in Game 7 went just crazy in the second half. Like, if they can can sustain that kind of play, and not not every game, of course, because the Heat aren't going to have those guys play great in every game. But if they get some more games like that, they 
I think that they will win the series. My 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 hunch and my gut tells me that they probably won't because the Heat are a better defensive team than the Bucks. The Bucks elevated their defensive game in the um, in the playoffs. They were uh, above average to average a defensive team all year, and when it came to that series against the Celtics and their first series against the Bucks, I mean they they ratcheted it up to a new level and they showed I think real championship grit. But they're not that kind of defensive team. The Heat are. The Heat are a real beast on that side of the floor. So that's going to be, that's going to, I think, be a big difference is can those other guys get off their offense against that kind of Heat defense that you know is going to be in tune to the game plan and in tune to making sure that those other guys don't necessarily just go crazy. And I think that the Heat, because they have Jimmy Butler, because they have uh, uh, P.J. Tucker, they'll be a little more equipped to guard Jason Tatum and Brown. Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 gonna be uh it's gonna be a challenging series, but um what I will say is I think that the Celtics are gonna guard at a much higher level than the Hawks and Sixers did. I definitely agree with that too. That's you know, so it will be tougher for Miami offensively as well. But I think that the Heat present a different challenge offensively than the Nets and Hawks did. I mean, Nets and, and Bucks did because, yeah, I agree. you know, those teams are very top-heavy, not very deep. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Very easy to just crowd Durant, crowd Giannis, yeah. crowd Drew Holiday, crowd, crowd Kyrie. You know, it wasn't wasn't very complex in terms of how you got to stop this. I mean, it's a complex issue just trying to stop Kevin Durant or just trying to stop Giannis. But, um, but you can't really do that with Miami. You know, you can say to yourself, yeah, stop Jimmy Butler, but like you said – one day it could be Tyler Hero, the next it could be Old Depot, the next it could be Struce, the next it could be Robinson, yep. next it could be Lowry, next it could be Bam, yep. next it could be P.J. Tucker. So yep. because of that, you know, Milwaukee had guys that can maybe go off, but you were going to live with that because you knew Giannis, how dangerous Giannis was. Uh, Brooklyn didn't really have many guys that you had to worry about offensively, you know, besides maybe Seth Curry as, a, as, as like a third guy. But... um. But when it comes to Miami, that's not the thing. So it, it's a challenge for both teams that, you know, especially on that end of the floor, um, you know, and, and that probably will wind up being the X factor is who performs better between the, the, the Boston D and the Miami offense. Yeah. I, I and I, I like that. I like that assessment. I think because I think that Boston's defense has been great this entire postseason. And I think they probably come in this series feeling rather comfortable guarding the Miami Heat because they don't actually have this major issue of, like, here's one supernova that we have to just completely and and, 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 and fully commit our entire game plan to stopping or at least controlling if we want any chance to win the series. That was with Kevin Durant, and that was with, with Giannis. Here, I think they come into the series. You know, I always ask you, like, in these series, you know, what's the player that you, you fear most – you know, you're playing against some of these teams as, you know, of course, you playing a Celtic fan, being in the playoffs most of the time, me being a Knicks fan, not being in the playoffs, not having to worry about the kind of situation. I bet you if I ask that question, I bet you say you really don't, you really don't fear probably anyone on the Heat in terms of somebody you feel like could just absolutely just take over the series where you have no chance. There are guys, individual games that will probably have big games. Again, you know Jimmy and Tyler are going to have big games. Yep. But, but it's, 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 it's going to be interesting because if the – the Heat, I think, played. They played, I think, 
two bad defensive teams. You know, the Sixers are not a good defensive team without Joel Embiid, and Joel didn't play the first two games, and he was hampered the games he played. And the Hawks are a terrible defensive team. So the Heat, they those guys was eaten <laughs> in the last two yeah. in the last two rounds. This is going to be a much different test, which is why I think this is going to be probably another seven game series. I think this. The only the only thing that may make it shorter, if it's a shorter series, I'll say the Heat would win, would be if the Celtics got beat up a little too much in that semifinal, and it was it took a lot more of a toll than we thought. That would be the only thing I see where it becomes a five or six game series. Otherwise, I think this is going to be a really nip and tuck tough series. I think it goes seven, and uh, I'm I'm it's tough to make the pick here, but I'm gonna. I'm going to go with – I'm going to ride with your Boston Celtics, Kendall. I'm going to ride with your Boston Celtics because I think when you get to – as we saw in this last round, I think when you, if you when you get to a game seven, give me the team that has the guy who can create his shot the easiest. I, I, you know, I think we saw that with Luka. I think we saw that with Jason Tatum. And when I say, you know, Tatum, Giannis obviously is a, is a great player, but Giannis playing on that team with all these guys guarding him and being double teamed, it's, it's different. Get, you know, give me the guy who is going to have the easiest time getting his shot and can can control the game by getting into the paint and scoring in isolation. I think Tatum's that guy in this series. And if he goes seven, even on the road, I think they get it done. But, boy, I think this is going to be a barn burner. I think this is going to be a real barn burner. I cannot wait see these two teams lock up i can't wait to see this western conference team lock up the mavs and the warriors luka Doncic just putting on a clinic in that series against the phoenix suns an impressive phoenix suns defense that's been great all year he just shredded them for seven games essentially even the games they lost he was having huge games and they blew out the suns in that game seven we'll talk about that in a little bit meanwhile Warriors, as like I said, they were able to take care of the Grizzlies despite losing their coach mid-series. The Grizzlies did lose John Morant uh, towards the end of that series to a bone bruise, and he was done for the postseason. Postseason didn't, didn't last much longer for them. They only played two or three more games uh, after he got injured. When it comes to this Mavs-Warriors series, Kendall, who do you have coming out of the West? Um... Mavs Warriors, it's tough. I, I I think this series will be closer than people expect. I do too. Uh, if, you know, I think if most people expect, oh, Warriors should win this in no more than six games. Um, I find it I find it the opposite that you know I feel like it's going at least six games in my mind. Um, you know, I mean this Dallas team is playing at a really high level. Uh, it's not just Luca playing at a really high level, but Spencer Dinwiddie's playing at a really high level. Jalen Brunson's playing at a high level. Um, again, the way they guard, and in today's NBA, where offense is so prevalent, if you have a team that can really shut you down, and I mean, what they did to Phoenix in Game Seven, obviously Phoenix did not shoot the ball well, but got to give the Dallas Mavericks credit for yeah, the, yeah their the defensive, defensive intensity and their Phoenix didn't shoot well, but Dallas also played some exceptional defense. I mean, the way yes. they were scrambling. Also really sound. Yeah, scrambling, yeah. doubling, uh, doubling Aiden, putting pressure on the ball. I mean, it was just, it, okay. was a cl- it was a clinic defensively by the Mavericks. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe if Booker uh, was double team more in his open gyms, you know, maybe he would have <laughs> been more capable of breaking. The I, had a fi- I had a feeling when I threw up that alley that you would uh, <laughs> you windmill it the way you did. That's why I worked. Yeah, man. But 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 yeah, no. I mean, I feel like uh, I feel like this is this is gonna be a tight series. Um, the the question that that's always the question is, who do you throw at Luca? Um, I think. Phoenix, you would have thought, had one of the perfect guys in the league to guard Luka and Mikhail Bridges. I mean, he's one of the five best defenders in the league, top three at the wing position, and, you know, say he'll finish, what, second for defensive player of the year? I mean, yeah. you know, lanky, athletic, quick, you know, got stronger. Yeah, great yeah, hands. Yeah, yeah, great hands. I mean. But I think, Kendall, the, one of the problems is 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 – Modern defensive schemes in the NBA allow you to switch so easily, and he he got his he he, he got his trust me he ate he ate up uh, bridges too, but so yes. many of these plays with Luca is 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 him you know getting a switch on Cam Johnson or getting a switch on DeAndre or getting a switch on Chris Paul, yeah. and those guys I mean he's he's gonna score on those guys every single time, and exactly. what makes it so tricky and then the, so then the person who's probably listening to this podcast will ask well why do they keep switching. Well, you switch because if you decide to try to play it more of a you know, conventional, you hedge or you try to get over, you try to, you can't go under. He's gonna step back into the three. Okay, you try to hedge and try to play a two man game. He's such a great passer. He's gonna just tear you apart. Yeah. So the easiest thing to do is say just live with whatever the switch is gonna be. So I think what happened a lot in that series is the Suns probably didn't get to put Bridges on Luca as much as they would have liked to. I don't know how much of a difference would have made because Luca looked like he was just unguardable anyway. But that's that's I think gonna be fascinating because the Warriors I would agree don't necessarily have an option you would think is as good as Bridges. I assume Clay Thompson will get the majority of that assignment. But really? the way Dallas, I would. I mean, unless you think it's Wiggins. I mean, I think Wiggins will get a lot. I think Draymond will actually probably get get a get. get you some think Draymond can get some looks at? That would be interesting. In some switches, he'll 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 get some. I think there'll be moments. I think there'll he, be I think there'll be comfortable switching Draymond yeah. for sure. Yeah, and we'll see how that goes. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously Draymond more at this stage of career more accustomed to you know guarding bigs, but he's also you know <laughs> a Mount Rushmore or a top ten defensive player in NBA history. So you know they'll you know I'm sure they'll they'll. It, you know, and obviously with, with his IQ defensively, you feel like he'll figure it out. And I think we're getting uh, to something that I think is is I think going to be key is I, I think that and I think in in most again from from most NBA teams now, like it's not really ever going to be we're going to put somebody on this guy and that's just going to be it. It's going to have to be a collective. You know, I think there's going to be multiple guys getting multiple shots. I agree with you. I think Wiggins will get a lot of looks. You could be right. He could be the guy that ends up being the primary. But I do think Clay will get a lot of looks, and I I, I wouldn't be surprised in in lineups where where Looney's out there and the Mavs are playing Luca at the three or the four. I think that Draymond may get a look, because I, I, you can't put that on one guy. This guy is this, this guy's a killer. I mean, you try to play with one tell one guy you're going to guard this killer for seven games or six games. You're putting that guy through the ringer. You're going to need multiple bodies to take to 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 get. Uh, to get at this guy, and if you think about what Dallas did, 
one of the keys to Dallas' success, I felt, in that series against Phoenix was their ability to put multiple defenders on Phoenix's guards. I mean, Jason Kidd, who – I got to eat a lot of crow for a lot of things that went on in Dallas from last offseason to this postseason. I did not like the kid hire. He did a masterful job during the regular season and during this postseason. I thought Spencer Dinwiddie was cooked, and he's not necessarily one of my favorite personalities in the NBA. That dude is balling. I cannot say anything. Spencer Dinwiddie, after a really terrible time in Washington, got to Dallas and is playing some exceptional basketball. They seem to put together a roster that makes a lot of sense. So shout out to that front office. Shout out to Mark Cuban. Again, a guy who has not been (laughs) – he hasn't been someone that would be getting a virtual Christmas card from me for the last few years with with his antics. Dallas – really has a really great thing going right now. And that, to me, when I get back to my point about what they were successful with with the Phoenix series, was Jason Kidd is not afraid to go deep into his bench to find minutes anywhere from somebody that will play some defense. Like, Frank Nilakina, you know, Nick fans, he's become now, like, a con- topic of conversation again because the coach of the Knicks, Tom Thibodeau, said that this guy was useless and that they couldn't, get him out there and find time for him yet these games you see Dallas playing that they're winning Franklin Lakina is getting time guarding Chris Paul guarding Devin Booker those guys shot I think 25 percent or something like that with Franklin Lakina guarding them it's not like Frank's guard playing 20 minutes 30 minutes but even five or ten minutes of him fresh that's tough for a guy like Chris Paul who's apparently had some quad injury and is 37 years old he's getting picked up full court you know he's got to go up against Reggie Bullock who's playing real defense He's got to go up against a lot of these other guys who, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith and the defense he's playing on Devin Booker and these guys on the wing. They, 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 uh, I sound like uh, Daffy Duck. Uh, <laughs> Jason Kidd did a, just a great job, I thought, of managing the series and managing his rotations and managing his, managing his roster, not being fixated on we're only going to play two, you know, two or three guys off the bench and we're not going to, you know, you know, stick to our rotation. He, he played as many guys as he could that made sense, and he found time and found roles for people even if they didn't play that many minutes. I think for the Warriors, they're going to have to take a page out of that. It's not going to be we're going to just put Clay or put Wiggins on Luka, and that's going to be a wrap because Dallas is going to – they're going to tear apart your, your, that defensive scheme. It's going to have to be multiple guys getting multiple opportunities and everybody being in tune uh, with the game plan. And that's good. Good luck. This guy is, he's on a tear right now. Yeah. And I, you know, I think one of the other keys to this series and, you know, it's not, it's not like the end all be all that will decide the series, but I think it's something that um, Memphis wasn't able to do as much because of Morant's injury. Um, but I think that Dallas needs to they gotta they gotta make Stephen Curry work defensively. Oh uh, yeah. Um you know, and that's always a key when you're facing the Golden State Warriors. And that's that's gonna be on Jalen Brunson uh to be a factor offensively. And he has been all playoffs, but that's that's gonna have to continue. Um he's gonna have to play at a high level if, if they wanna if they wanna put pressure on 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 Steph and, and, and make him work on that end of the court so that Makes it a little tougher for him to 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 to, to go off 
But that is, that is one of the things I think that hurts Dallas in this series, though, Kendall, because I think when Spencer comes into the game off the bench, it, it that it becomes a little harder to hide stuff. But I think the way they're kind of structured, it just seems simple to me. You just put Steph on Reggie Bullock. Bullock. And, and, or he, he could even guard Finney Smith. I'm not getting with Finney Smith. Yeah, yeah, he can guard Finney Smith. Uh, Frank Nilakina, when he gets in the game, that's definitely who Steph's going to be guarding. Exactly. And, and Steph's, not, like, Steph's not a turnstile, but we know he's not. Yeah. You know, he, he, he's not a plus defender. And and, and like again, you said, it's not, even it's about not necessarily even about the right. I'm gonna let you say it because you, you're right. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's not even about you know we gotta attack him because he's a he's a mismatch. But you gotta make the guy work because you know we know he already expends a lot of energy offensively. But when he's able to hide defensively on a guy who's a non who's a non threat. You know, it 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 makes it makes the guy's life a lot easier. And against Denver, they didn't have anybody in the backcourt that they were that 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 Golden State was scared of. You know, Memphis after John Morant got hurt. You know, you you I mean Tyus Jones is a good player, but you know Steph's like, all right, play through Tyus Jones for for forty eight minutes, see how that works. You know, so I, I mean, to me, I you know, it Dallas. It could present a similar. It could be a little bit of a similar concern if Jalen Brunson kind of comes back down to earth, quote unquote. If he plays at a really high level and didn't we continue to play at a high level, you might be able to. You might be able to to, to put some pressure on stuff. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And, and and to me, kind of going back to that Boston series, in some ways, I kind of feel like Jason Kidd is kind of similar to Emil Dokins, just that he found some money. I think he found money, Spencer Dinwiddie. I don't think anybody expected Dinwiddie was going to look like Brooklyn Dinwiddie with the way he's looked for the last two years. Um, uh, you know, and, and even you know some of the shot making they've gotten from Reggie Bullock, and and, and you know I think he kind of had a okay regular season, but he's had a he's looked like New York regular season Reggie Bullock in the postseason for the Dallas Mavericks, and Finney Smith's had some uh, big games in these playoffs. So Dallas has found some money. They're going to have to keep ensuring that those guys continue to play at a high level. When it comes to handicapping this series, I I tell you what, I'm going to go with the Warriors, but I think this is going to be a very tough series. I don't I think that this is I think this is also going to be I'm going to say this is a six game series. I almost went seven. But I'm going to say this is a six game series. I think the only thing that makes me I, I was really close to picking Dallas. I think the one thing that makes it tough for me to pick Dallas is I just think when you're playing against the Warriors, I think I need this. Dallas's offense looked incredible against the Phoenix Suns, and I don't think I don't think that Golden State's as good a defensive team as Phoenix. But I'm just not convinced that they're going to be able to score with the. Warriors the way they were able to score with Phoenix. And I think I just think I think Dallas just I think they mentally just took Phoenix out of that series. I think that they were just playing way harder. I think at a certain point they kind of knew that they had them guys in their back pocket. Sometimes the teams know before the even the spectators know. Like they blew they they blew the doors off Phoenix in game six. And we kind of thought, oh, that's the home team and Phoenix was ready to go back to the crib and and you know and and then they, and it was the first two games in Dallas blew their doors off. You know the, the 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 even the the game five that Phoenix won, that was a very close game until the third quarter. They had one bad quarter, you know. Yeah. Like Dallas played a great first half, and it looked like, oh man, this is this might Dallas might take this thing back up three two, and then you know Phoenix had a great third quarter. 
like Dallas had their number for a while. So maybe that last game, as stunning as it was, shouldn't have been as surprising maybe as it appeared to be for a lot of people, and including myself. I just don't. I just don't know if they're going to have that much success being that disruptive to Warriors in their de- in their offense. You know, like I, that would be su- that would be really surprising if somehow the Warriors had that many problems the way Phoenix had with 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 Golden's with uh with with Dallas's defense. So I think because of that, that's going to require Dinwiddie these guys to play out of their minds now again. They'll have some big games, but I don't think it'll be enough. I don't think they'll have four of them. So I'll lean. Dallas, excuse me, Golden State in six. What what do you say with this series in terms of? Uh this one's more of a gut, man. But I, I I think I think Dallas pulls out the upset. Wow. Um, I'll say in seven games, I think Dallas steals it. I think I think Luca's gonna have a, a special series. I think he's gonna be the best player in this series. Uh, and I think that they defend at, at such a really high level that these games will be close. Um, and with this team, if if games are close, late in games, I mean, Luka can take over. And, and I, look, man, you know me. I'm the biggest Stephen Curry guy. Game on the line, give me Luka. I'm, yeah. being, complete, I'm being completely honest. Okay, I will defend. I think Steph gets a lot of heat for unnecessarily about his clutch ability or lack of clutch ability. And I will defend Steph through that. But if you're telling me the game's on the line, last two minutes, three minutes, who I want with the ball in his hands, I'll take Luka over Steph in that situation. Not many guys I would take Steph over Steph, but he's one of them. And if that's yeah, that's yeah. why I almost picked Dallas. Because I'm like, if, if that's the case, then that's this is going to be close games. I mean, that's the thing, because that, that, that was why... I felt like that's why when I talked about before with the Jason Tatum why I'm picking Boston, uh, we don't think enough about how these playoff games, even, you know, maybe the first round, yeah, those a lot of them, some of those are mismatches, so some of these teams get these guys out of here quick. But in the second round, the conference finals, the NBA finals, these are games, Kendall, that are played in the margins. These are games that are five, three-point games, two-point games, or games at least in the single digits. These are not no blowouts, you know, normally, you yeah. know, we saw some weird game seven stuff, but even that Boston series, you saw there was a lot of close games before we got to the game seven blowout. Like these games are played very tight, very close. It's one possession here, one possession there that makes the difference. So if you're telling me that those, these are the, how these games are going to be played. That's why the emphasis on the star and the shot creator and the one-on-one option to me is heightened in the postseason than maybe it would be during the regular season. So that's why a guy Luca would scare the hell out of me if I was a Warriors fan, because I that guy again I want that guy over anybody on my team, because again like I said that guy is a killer, and I've seen enough from his entire postseason career even though he's never been past the first round. We've seen what his we've seen his work in the first two years he was in the playoffs, and now we've seen what he's done this year. So, this it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good series. This 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 I think these are gonna be some fantastic matchups in the conference into the conference finals and i can't wait i can't wait but let's um before we uh, uh get out of here i do want to quickly talk about some of these teams that that were sent home so you know with triumph that we've seen from these teams in the final four that comes disappointment from the several teams that were seen as contenders heading into the playoffs that are now finalizing off-season plans the suns 
score 27 first half points. That is not incorrect. That's not a typo. That's not something that you misheard. They scored 27 points in the first half of their blowout loss to the Dallas Mavericks in Game 7. The Bucks suffered uh, back-to-back double-digit losses and elimination games in which they could have advanced. James Harden was held to just two shots in the second half of Philly's Game 6 loss to Miami. The Grizzlies were forced to play without John Morant and could not hold on to a fourth-quarter lead in Game 6 against the Warriors. That was their elimination game. So what was so interesting, I think, about these losses, Kendall, because I talked about how this almost, I almost wanted to lead the show with it, is it feels to me, and maybe it's prisoner of the moment, but it felt like some windows started to close for at least two of these teams. I don't know if you saw what I saw, but I'm very concerned about what Phoenix looks like beyond this this year. Because, and you know me, Kendall, I've been singing Phoenix's praises since the, the since last offseason. Or really, since they drafted Cam Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or really, yeah, you're right. Since the bubble. You're, you're 100% right about that. I was singing their praises even during the bubble. I said, this, I think this 8-0 or 9-0, whatever. I said, I think this thing is real. I don't think this is nothing. Um, yeah. So, I've been, the I've pushed the Phoenix band, the Phoenix agenda. I've drunk the Monty Williams Kool-Aid. I've done all of it. Except for that I do think Tibbs was correct to win the coach year the first year, even though he was a bozo in year two. That was the only thing I, I was not pro-Phoenix on. Otherwise, I've been all on the bandwagon for Phoenix. But I see Chris Paul, and he looked a lot like the Chris Pauls I was seeing in Houston and in OKC and at the end of the Clippers run where he was looking old, and when he got to the postseason, just looked like, there was just another gear that he couldn't get to. Whatever he was able to get over last year, despite all those injuries that he went through, and we said, man, Chris Paul is great. I guess he just figured out the fountain of youth. He started to look back like the guy that you couldn't rely on, that was going to be hurt, or wasn't going to be able to get it done, or was going to look tired by the time he got to deep into the postseason. That's what I saw in this series against Dallas. Now, they're saying he's got some kind of quad injury. To me, it doesn't matter if he's healthy or hurt. If he's healthy, that's... If he's hurt, that's a problem because that's been his issue his entire, at least for the last several years when it comes to the postseason. Yep. And if he was healthy and they're just saying this thing just to kind of, you know, make up for the fact that he didn't get it done, then that, then that's worse almost. I mean, that's just as bad maybe because it's like, all right, well, that's how he's going to look when a team decides to put real pressure on him and, and pick him up full court and really make him work. That's just, they're going to guard him like that every time in the playoffs for the rest of his career. He ain't getting younger. So I so I don't know what Chris Paul is going to continue to be. We saw whatever the issue is with DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams, but it doesn't look good. It feels to me that game felt like this was the last time that DeAndre Ayton was going to put on Sun uniform. Just the energy we saw from him, the confrontation that was on the bench, Monty Williams telling the reporters it's internal when they're asking why the hell you only played DeAndre Ayton 17 minutes in, in an elimination game you had to win. And the fact that DeAndre Ayton is the only guy on that squad that didn't get any of the flowers for their finals run last year. He didn't get any of the flowers. He didn't get any of the money. Everybody else got taken care of. Chris Paul was taken care of even before they did anything because he signed the contract with Phoenix. Devin Booker is going to get taken care of this offseason with a big extension. They taking care of Monty Williams. 
the guys gotten awards. Everybody's been taken care of and been recognized except for him. And now it's kind of he's kind of looked at as kind of the whipping boy now, and he's kind of being seen to me as a scapegoat. I thought there was no way, even the fact, even though he is going into restricted free agency, I thought there was no way he was still not going to end up in Phoenix. But when I think about Robert Sarver and his cheap history and how I I know that blowout performance did not sit well with him yesterday, I would be, I think right now, I'd be probably a little more surprised if he was back than if he was gone. I I think, you know, I don't know if it's, it's not like it's 70-30, but it's probably... You know, 55, 45, I would probably lean that he's not a son next year, that they find a way to, to, to orchestrate some kind of sign and trade to add more pieces to that team, which is unfortunate because, again, I feel like Aiden is an important piece, and I think he kind of gets overlooked. But then you look at that Phoenix situation, and I go back to Philly, I don't know what the hell Philly's going to do with James Harden because if he opts in, he, he's locked into $44 million. You ain't going to be able to trade him. And I really don't know what his value is even as a player at this point. He's definitely not worth $44 million. But as a a big point guard who is great at setting guys up and can rack up big assist numbers but is extremely uh, low efficiency and high volume, I don't know what to make of what that player is. I, you could tell me what number you would pay him or what he would be worth on a trade market. I, I don't know. He's James Harden, this version of James Harden is not really a player I've ever seen before, but I don't think he's a winning player, this version. So if you're not telling me you're not going to get that kind of shot creation that you've gotten from him in the past, the kind of just scintillating and sensational one-on-one arsenal that he has displayed in years past, if you're not going to get any of that, Philly looks very ordinary to me. They look like a team that could get past first round, maybe win a round or two, but they, they don't look like a team that can get to the to the final. They don't look like a team that can get to the, to the East, uh, to, can get out of the East. And if that's the case, Joel Embiid is in the prime of his career, and you're in, you, you end up kind of wasting these prime years. He's looking more and more to me like Patrick Ewing on the Knicks when I watch his career. And I don't know how you saw it, Kendall, but I saw some windows beginning to close. And even, you know, and I look at even the Bucks. I think the Grizzlies will be fine, like I said. I think that they're going to be, the West is going to be theirs in a couple of years. But I even look at the Bucks, and not that these guys are, are old, but, you know, Chris Middleton gets hurt. He's, in, he's not a young player. You know, he's not going to continue to get more healthy. You know, Drew Holiday is not a young player. They're not he's not gonna be more healthy. And they're 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 kinda capped out. They didn't re sign PJ Tucker because they didn't want to go over the luxury tax. So their ability to make moves to improve the roster, they're not as flexible as you would think. So I think two at least two of these four teams may see their championship window closing. Uh or excuse me, three may see their championship window closing. I think two, I think it's very likely that it is. But how do you see it? Yeah, no, I mean, Phoenix, I mean, you you know, you said a lot about the, the Aiden situation. And, you know, I, obviously I wasn't uh, necessarily a proponent of maxing him out in the offseason. Uh, but this is the this is the downside is you, you alienate the guy if you bring him back and you, you have these situations. And you say to yourself, if we would have paid him, maybe he wouldn't have maybe he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have uh, 
at a mutiny, but or you pay the guy and you Julius Randle. You know, and he has a bad year. You you say to yourself, you're you're regretting it because he, he stopped working hard. So really, you're 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 you 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 have a risk one way or the other. Um, I agree. I mean, I I think that I'm pretty confident they're not gonna lose him for nothing. Um, no, they won't. But there's nobody, nobody has capital. But there's, yeah, yeah. But but there's, you know, probably 29, 25 to twenty nine other teams that are you know in their front offices today, in their buildings, wondering, is there a way we can get DeAndre Ayton in the offseason? Is it worth? I, sincere, it? I sincerely hope one of those organizations is the New York Knicks. Sure, the Knicks are having conversations. I, I you know, I don't know if the Knicks make the most sense. Out of all the teams, but Why not? not. I mean, look, I'm sure Aiden. I'm sure you know. I mean, look, you'll take him, but just in terms of what Phoenix would want back, you, they don't. You don't think and, Mitchell Robinson, a, you know, who's a who's a free agent as well as a, an assigned trade right. would. They're gonna need a replacement for Aiden. I think he would be it. He's not DeAndre Aiden, but I, I think you could do a lot worse. So that's a, that's a start. But where, where else would we go? Uh, we'll, we'll Whoever they draft, he'll keep talking. Yeah, we'll see what the pick is. We'll see, we'll see maybe a future pick. We'll keep talking, but that's that's a start. I mean, like for example, and, and of course, obviously signing trades involve the guy signing there, but like you know, like Utah would offer Rudy Gobert probably. You know, San Antonio, I don't think they offer Dejounte Murray, but they probably offer anybody else. And you know, because they really, they really need a guy like yeah, him. I don't think anybody else. I don't think I don't know if anybody else, anything else in their roster is more valuable than Mitchell Robinson. Is what I'll say. I, I, I agree. Rudy Gobert is more valuable than Mitchell Robinson. I don't love that contract, but for Phoenix, a team that's trying to win it all, that's the probably... that's the key. If you're talking about the Phoenix Suns, yeah. And so, you know, Atlanta, the Atlanta Hawks, if they decide we'll give you John Collins and DeAndre Hunter, I'd rather have that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if you're a contending team, so that, Yo, that's why I say it's, it's too, neat. Yeah. What'd you say? You have to get rid of Capella. I see you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't have to get him to Phoenix, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Phoenix will take him. But, um, yeah. but yeah, you know, it's that's that's always the key. That's why I say, you know, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure the Knicks would 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 would, would love to have DeAndre. And I guess it just comes down to every team would love to have DeAndre. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, but. He's, but yeah, the, the, I, I. But because of that, I think that a party of ways may make sense because he has a lot of value, um, and I think you can replace him with a guy that maybe is an upgrade, but maybe makes more sense for your team. So, so you don't buy uh, necessarily that like 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 the the feeling I have that maybe windows are closing for Phoenix, uh, and I will get to Philly, but at least in Phoenix, you feel like even if Aiden is gone, that there is a. There's a rebound there potentially that would allow them to still be okay. So I just, I just don't like what I saw from Chris Paul in addition to Aiden potentially leaving. The Chris like, Paul thing is funny because from a legacy standpoint, he's gonna get hurt. He's gonna get dinged for the legacy thing, and you know me, I'm I am not as I'm not as hard. I don't I don't really engage in much legacy talk when a guy is still playing. But regardless, yes. you know. <laughs> But when it comes to a player like Chris Paul, it's, it's it's like LeBron, it's like Tom Brady. When you have a guy that is played at such a high level for such a long time, you know, you, they sort of become a prisoner of their own longevity and their own, yeah, you know, greatness because 
you know, for most players when they're 37 and they have a bad playoff series, well, he's 37, man. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to hold that against him when I talk about the whole, his Hall of Fame career. Yeah, but remember that series when he's 37 and, you know, he struggled against Dallas in the right. second round. But <laughs> on the flip side, he's still an all-star point guard. You know, he's still, you know, a lot of people, and a lot of people might be the top five point guard in the league. So it's not really about. Chris Paul, the 37-year-old point guard who struggled. Is Chris Paul the top five point guard in the league who, again, struggled, you know, in the playoffs in a big spot? And so yeah, when people – When his team's relying on, team rely on him to be that elite-level point guard. Consistently, yeah. you know? And so – but it's also not fair because he, he's not as good as he was with the Clippers. He's not as good as he was with the Hornets. So, you know, we're going to look back. And we're going to judge it the same way we would have with him on the Clippers. But it's a different Chris Paul. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's becoming a trend. So it's, it is it is what it is. But, yeah, I mean, changes have to be made. I mean, but at the same time, the Western Conference, I don't think the West is as tough. as I think it's pretty wide open. I don't think it's as tough as maybe it looks. Obviously, they lost to Dallas, but they had they won 64 games. So, you know. I don't know if the better team maybe won the series and you know, golden state's there and they'll always be there. And the Grizzlies, we need to figure out if the Memphis Grizzlies are like the San Francisco giants in baseball, like, and, and maybe the San Francisco giants are, are, are just great. But you know, the idea of like, all oh, this team was, you know, they, it's, it's a, you know, they call it lightning in a bottle, but you know, let's see if they could try that again. Let's see, see if you can do that again. And we'll, we'll have that answer next year, but, um, I'm maybe not as sold on the Grizzlies as like, you know, a long-term like juggernaut in the Western Conference. Uh, so, I mean, if you have Devin Booker, but remember, I think it, yeah. But remember, you got the you also got Denver is going to be bringing back some guys you hope to Denver. Help. Denver is a team that know. you have to pay attention to, no yeah, doubt. Denver is a team you got to pay attention to. And I don't know what you're going to look like, but they're on the downswing. Yeah, but I was, uh, but Minnesota seems to be on the upswing. You know, Jesse yes. Edwards is a, a dynamite scorer, and you know, Carlin Town gets a lot of slander, but he's definitely very talented. And they got young players and flexibility; they could retool the roster. They, they're a team to be reckoned with. They're not. They're not a team that's just going to be a pushover. We sometimes I just the reason why I talk about the, the the window conversation with this team is, you know, so, sometimes we just assume that these teams are going to be just competing, contending forever. And then when it's over, we are like we're like surprised that it's over. And we're like, well, how come we didn't see this coming? It's like, well, did you really kind of take a full landscape of the league? And did you also pay attention to like what their situation was? Like, they got a thirty-seven-year-old point guard. Their center, who's the youngest guy on the team, is furious and maybe gone now. They and it, we saw that. Hey, if you decide that we're gonna take away Devin Booker and we're gonna double him and trap him. And we're gonna make Chris Paul beat us. Maybe in the first round that won't work, but by the time we get to the second round and he's tired and beaten up, he might not be able to beat you guys. And that's what Dallas was able to prove. So yep. that's that's where and then one team, another team we did not mention that I think we'll have to see what they are next year. But Kawhi Leonard's coming back to the conference too. So you gotta think about I the think Los Angeles Clippers. <laughs> no, no, I'm not talking about the Lakers. No. The Clippers, yeah. but you know, yeah. Look, I mean, there, there's other. I'm just saying, there's other good teams, other good teams, yeah. and, 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 and the Suns. So, they they ran through the Phoenix, West this year. I just don't know if it's going to be a sweet next year. They, they I don't. I think the Phoenix coming year. out of the West 
I didn't think Phoenix was coming out of the West going into the season. Yeah, that's true. I did. So that's why I I think I'm, more, I'm a little more down on what I saw. But yeah. Right. I didn't think they were coming out of it going into the season. I don't think I thought they were coming out of it going into the playoffs. So I'm not necessarily saying that I think that they're the they're the favorite in the West next year, but um when I think about a championship window closing, you know, you think about like the Celtics, you know, when they when they got swept by the by the by the Knicks. Or lost in lost in six games, but when it felt like they were rising, it swept by the Knicks. It was a big three. Um, you you think about it, or even if you you want to go to the Miami loss, like you, a, a loss where you're like, man, that's the last time we're going to play on this stage. Uh, <laughs> I you know I think I think Phoenix could very well still get back to a conference final. I and mean, if you're in the conference finals, you're in the mix. Um, but there's going to be a retooling. But Aiden has such high value that. They'll be able to recover if they ha- if they do wind up losing Aiden, and he is a restricted free agent. So somebody gives them a max contract, they could just decide to match it, and now we're back to start. You know, so I'm not going to overreact. I do agree that changes probably need to be made. Um, I just don't know if you can win a championship with Booker and Paul as your two best players. Um, but that's the situation you're in now. So, um. And I can't really move Chris Paul. Just the nature of the way he is, his age, his contract. Yeah, you're not getting anything of value. Yeah. Or yeah, you're, you're only gonna get, yeah, you're only going to get a, a step down probably. So, yeah. um, so you, so you have to, you, you have to rock with the the core you've got for the most part. Aiden is the only movable asset that makes any sense for you to move. So, um, yeah, so uh, no, I know I wouldn't say that their championship window is closed, but it's it's too to be determined. I wouldn't say that they're for a fact. Yeah, they'll be back here next year because I don't know what they're going to look like. But I do want to see what what the moves. I think James Jones. I will say I agree. I think he's got a hard job this offseason. He does. He you know last season I think he had an easy job you know in the offseason. Just oh yeah. just bring, run it back, bring back yeah. campaign, make a couple changes and whatnot. And I will also say, I've been the guy for the last year. You know, and and I like James Jones. I think he did a great job, but I, you know, he he made a grave mistake not drafting Tyree Talbert. Oh, one hundred percent, man. If they make that draft 100%. pick, their outlook looks like ten times better. And nobody wanted to acknowledge it because they won sixty four games. Yeah, everything like, else, why? everything else was great. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, why are we barking up a tree that that doesn't matter right now? And that's a and that's a first but, guess by both of us. We we both yeah we were said like, this we said that this in that the, was a colossal moment. that was a colossal mistake yeah for they drafted a guy that's not even on the team anymore yeah now to be fair Tyree Taliburton's not on the team to draft him either but right but it was because he's damn yeah. good yeah because they were able to get an all star for him that's it, why yeah exactly yeah fair you enough know, fair enough you know so so that's yeah that was that was a that was a big error because it's so crazy that's why I love doing the show with you because. It's like, you know, we're brothers, of course. So, you know, we're thinking a lot of times on the same wavelength. And I was going to a different path, but you kind of take took me there with the Halliburton thing. Because when I thought about James Jones and the tough job he has this offseason, one of the key things is they got to get a real point guard to back up Chris Paul. And campaign is good. I like campaign. But he just they need a guy who, when Chris Paul either hurt or not going – a guy that can also get them going and really uh, be a, a you know a dynamic kind of player. Campaign is too faced or famine. You know he's too inconsistent, and that was where the Hal Purton thing hurt them because like like that's the, that's like the exact kind of player that they need. 
Because they just right. it just was too easy for Dallas to say we're gonna just completely take away Aiton and make these other guys be playmakers. And we don't think that Chris Paul, if we pressure him and beat him up and make it difficult for him for seven games, is gonna last. And they were right. Like that's not a strategy that should have worked, but it did in part because they didn't have anybody else to throw out there to maybe spell Chris Paul or play in the backcourt with Chris Paul and Booker and maybe go small. Like they had no, they had no, there was no counter to that. And that I think was a little bit roster. I don't know if it was necessarily Monty not making an adjustment. They just didn't have anybody out there that could say, all right, well, we'll let this guy uh, run the point and, and let Chris Paul play on the play, play, you know, at the two and put Devin Booker at the three. Because Dallas loves playing small. If they would have been able to play small with Dallas, that would have maybe changed the entire series. They couldn't do that because that's not how they're built. The other key players they got are, you know, Crowder and Bridges, guys who aren't, they're not playmakers, and they're not really shot creators, at least not very good ones, you know. So that would be my my, my number one thing. First, number one thing is figure out what the hell is going to happen with Aiden. But number two is they need to find a dynamic guard off the bench. I don't think it's Aaron Holiday. And I don't think it's campaign. Now, do they have the actual means to do that? You never know. But the one thing, as you always say, is when you're a contender and you live in a city that people like to play in, warm weather, you can find your way into some pretty good players. <laughs> you know. And so so Phoenix may find their way into some guy that we never would have thought they could get. But because of the circumstances, they were able to get them. But, but you know, that's why when you're a team that's drafting in the lottery and you're kind of a weird, you're in a weird, you're a weird situation where, you're a lottery team, but you're kind of good. And then, you, you know, you're getting Chris Paul. So, like, there's a chance that this draft pick could actually really matter. Like, you can't miss that pick. You can't You can't, You can't. can't do what they did, you know, and have a guy that you don't even – you cut, essentially, two years later. That, that, that can't be uh, the case. But that's what happened in Phoenix. So, so, last thing on this, are you – how do you feel about Harden? I mean, do you feel like – he could still help lead Philly to a championship. Like I don't, I just like like the way I feel right now. Kind of like, I just don't look. Still. I don't think. Oh, so you never. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, still. Kind of, kind of, I never. I never still what? <laughs> I'm sorry, that just took me out. He just got to Phoenix. He just got to Philly a couple months ago. So I mean, so but uh, I guess yeah, you're right. Fair enough. Not the best way to phrase the question. It was an assumption there. <laughs> I guess to me, I guess the way I look at it is. Philly's not a, they're not a title contender. Like I guess that's and I think that the reason why I'm saying that so with such an ex, exasp, expression is because that's that to me that deserves a big sense of urgency because it's like you're you've been selling us false goods. You've been telling yeah. us that you're a championship contender and that yeah. Embiid has all the pieces in place around him to win a championship. And I watched that Miami series. I said there's no way in hell that Embiid has the pieces around him. To win a championship, and that James Harden is supposed to be his number two. Is, There's no is way there in hell that he's that kind of guy. Is there a chance that Harden just walks? Like I think he should. No. Uh, should he is an interesting question, and I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't but know where he the goes. answer. But the answer to will will he? I think is no. He's not. He's not passing up forty four million. I I think right. I like and me and you. I think we we differ on this. I think we talked about it a little off air. I think the market for him is going to be crazy dry if he tries to hit free agency. I think he'd be crazy. I think he'd be crazy to, to pass. I just market. feel like we've seen over the last like three or four years, 
that there's always these teams, even contenders, it's not just bad teams, but contenders that are just trying to stay relevant or trying to sell tickets that'll say, we can make James Harden. I'll ask you one question. We saw it with Russell Westbrook. Yeah. We saw it with Chris Paul. All these guys that were over, that looked like they were over the hill that these teams said to themselves, we'll make it work. And I'll, ask you, I'll ask you one question, Kendall, though, because that's a fair point. But there's one there's one aspect of it that's different. And you mentioned two guys. And that's exactly where I'm going with Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. Those were trades. When was the last time you saw a free agent yeah. where a guy who looks the way James Harden looked and team said, we're going to find a way to make it work. Let's give the guy, it don't got to be the full max, but a lot right. of money in a lot of years. Money right. that you know you and I would never give him. That yeah. doesn't happen nearly as often. A trade where a guy has a bad contract, like, you know what, we think we can make this guy work, you're right. Yeah. Teams will bite the bullet and they'll take that chance. You don't see that with free agency. That's why I say when he gets to the free agent market, if he tries to make that the, move, the last I one think I he's in for say, a rude awakening. You're right. It's rare. I mean, the one that the one that comes to mind is is, is Hayward in in Charlotte. You know, that's another level of star, yeah. different. Market, that's, a, that's a that's a decent one. That's a decent. That's one, one where we're talking about a guy that was everything was pretty much going bad in Boston. Yeah, but they decided to to overpay. And that's a the, decent one because that's a guy who also opted out. That was not a guy who had uh, right. And when he was, opted out, people were like, "That looks insane." Got a, yeah, yeah, he's got a contract lined up, or like you said, he's insane. Right. And it turned out he probably had a contract lined up. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the, and that's the thing. And also, that will have to be the consideration from Harden. Is, now, again, I think Philly will be willing to pay him. It sounds like Daryl Morey is willing to pay him because I think he knows we can't just lose him for nothing or this was a waste. But, you know, but if they do decide to penny pinch or just if Harden decides, I don't want to do this Philly thing because we're not going to win and it's, it's just too much stress. Then, I mean, a team like a Charlotte, I mean, it won't be Charlotte, but a team like in that same position that Charlotte was in, you know, someone like Sacramento or somebody just may just decide, you know what, we're going to we're going to make a push for Harden because we want to stay relevant. You know, and does Harden does that just was not watching these games. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm tripping. Maybe I'm being too harsh. And I'm not the, the, the guy who bangs on Harden. I'm I'm not I've not been that guy like that's not my thing. Harden's a great player. Um, he's been a great player for a long time. I do think that there's something about his game that doesn't allow him to play as well in the playoffs. I do believe that, but I'm not I'm not the guy who says Harden's a loser or anything like that. I've never been that guy. But at the same time, like I I know what I saw, and I'm just like if 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 these NBA teams are smart, they would have seen they saw the same thing I saw, and if they're gonna decide after seeing that. Nah, we're still gonna give this guy three years and a hundred million. I mean, I'm, I, that would stun me because so another reason, the other reason why too, Kendall is it'd be different if this was a guy. And again, I'm not a, a hardened hater, but if he was a guy where he was, a, you know, trying to pick my words carefully, a workout warrior, guy who took incredible care of his body jimmy butler jimmy butler when he left philly yes exactly we know jimmy butler was an older player leaving philly but jimmy butler was a workout fiend so if you were gonna bet on any old free agent he would probably be the guy harden is not that we know that and again it's not a diss it just is who he is he likes to party he likes to be out at the club he likes to enjoy himself 
God bless him. I he's a he's a young black millionaire. Doesn't isn't hurting nobody. Having fun doing living his life. Uh, an incredible basketball player. There's no shame in that. But when you talk about saying, okay, now let's give this guy forty million dollars a year for three or four years, that's when I'm gonna have a conversation. And say, wait a minute, uh, how are you taking care of yourself? What are you doing to keep yourself more healthy? Last year you said it was a hamstring issue, and then you come into this year, and then you're in the first few games you're struggling. You're saying, well, my hamstring still hurt. It's like, what the hell were you doing in the off season to rehab? And then you play this whole season, and then you go to Philly. You play good for a couple weeks. And then you start to struggle again. And then we end this postseason, and the whispers are, well, they think his hamstring might have been bark- barking again. It's like, well, what the hell have you been doing for now a year and a half where your hamstring is still bothering you from last year in the playoffs? You know, like, that, that would be that. And, then, and I'm not trying to forecast how he's going to be moving forward. Let's say he gets past the issues he had the last two years, this year in Philly and Brooklyn and last year in Brooklyn and Houston for a little bit. What, like... I don't know what's going to come up the next two, three years with him. And I don't know if he's going to be able to, to put himself in a in the most advantageous situation to avoid it. Say what you want about Chris Paul and his injuries. We see the work he's done to try to avoid them. And he did for one year in Phoenix. But we know, again, we know what Harden is about. And I don't know if that's the kind of guy that I feel confident in that moving forward, and I'll so, be able to get a return on that investment if I'm paying him. I, I honestly, I think he may get a Carlos Correa kind of contract in the all season from, and it, it may be Philly, it may be someone else, where he sounds like a one year plus a plus like, a player option. Yeah, like a fifty million dollar. Yeah, for the full max. Yeah, where it's like he still gets the money, and that's what people are talking. That's what Stephen A. was saying about Kyrie. Where it's like, hey, I'll give him, I'll give him the fifty million. I'm just not giving him four years. I, you know, I think that that will be James Harden. It could be James Harden as well. Harden also has a mellow gene where he ain't trying to. He's not trying to lose money. So, yes, that I think yes. uh, will will play a factor in and that. Him was as well. and funny you mentioned mellow too because that's actually the way the NBA treated mellow is also educating my opinion on what Harden will be on the open market because I see some mellow in this. It's not the same. He's not there yet. No, no, I know, I know. I'm not saying I'm not. I guess I want to repeat. It's yet. not the same. And I think yeah. Mello was more far gone clearly than yeah. Harden was. But I think the idea that this is a guy who's never won, who we don't think of him as a like a rah rah leader or a locker room guy or a defense hustle guy, but he can score and he's a name. I just don't know if like that guy with all the baggage that that comes with not not baggage in terms of off the court but i mean baggage as a player yeah i don't know if bad. that guy's is worth nearly as much as we think on the open market and Melo taught me a lot like Melo, i was like wow Melo still had the they, these guys these guys they just didn't want to sign him they were just like this guy's not he's not an nba player i feel like harden's around the same point where Melo when he when the bulls tried to get him no he's worse than that i think he's more i think i think he's more i don't want to say he's okc Melo. But he's no, man. no. I mean, well, that's no. The thing. I, mean, I mean, I mean, the year the Knicks traded him. I mean, we don't like know. going like, into that offseason. You could be right. I mean, you're making a projection. I just don't. I, I'm just, I guess in just in terms of what we've seen, he's not getting younger, Kendall. What we've seen, like, yeah. I mean, you're saying he's gonna fall off a cliff. 
if, if that's what you're saying. No, I, and and I, OKC Melo was was not a top 100 player in the league, and I'm like James Harden. No, he's a, is uh, a yeah, he's still uh, a top wasn't. 25 player in the league. You think he's still a top 25 player in the league? James Harden. I mean, he yeah. did, he didn't play like a top twenty five player in the league this season. You but think you think going, going into next year, season, James Harden? You think, wait, no, you think going to next? You think going to next season? He's a top twenty five player. I I don't think there's no way. In I that. don't think he's dropped. I I don't know. We I feel like I maybe I'm just the type that I need to see more of a steep decline over a couple of years before I write off a guy that we looked at unanimously as a top ten player in the league for the last like decade, and then he's gonna go from. You know, again, I think most people would, if before the season, would have had him in their top ten, probably like their top eight. So I mean, talk about falling off a cliff. I mean, if you're saying we having a discussion of whether or not he's top twenty-five, then that is kind of the cliff. No, I'm saying yeah, it's a steep decline. I'm just saying once we start calling him OKC Mellow, that's why I'm like, all right, let's let's not let's not speaking hyperbole. OKC (laughs) Mellow went to a team where they thought he'd be arguably the second best player and. He was like the fourth or fifth best player. Look, my my, my Harden pretty much did the same thing I just saw in the playoffs. He was my comparison the best player, and he went been, there. And he was he was the fourth. He was the fourth best player. Tobias Harris had a better series than him against Miami. My my comparison for week for 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 months has been he's he's, he's AI in Denver. You know, I mean, like you know, that's still a, that's still an all star, but it's just it's just not the same. You know, the impact <laughs> the impact the the is it worth it? To have this kind of guy on your team, I think all those questions will be had. But just like AI in Denver, the guy has enough street cred where teams are still going to try and get James Harden. My you last know. question, to, my last question to you, Kendall: If you were applying for the Los Angeles Lakers head coaching job, and they told you you need to come up with a plan to make Russell Westbrook a winning contributor to this team, would you still want that job? <laughs> would I still want the job? I mean, yeah, I don't know. You, you apply to the job, knowing I guess that 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 he's on the roster. You know the personnel. If you're really trying to get that job, then you guys I'm gotta go you. in there. I'm not, I'm not, not. You don't gotta make a hypothetical. I'm asking you. you gotta go let's in, say you let's gotta go in there with a plan. No, I'm asking you. You 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 got you applied to the Laker job. If they told you what's your plan to to <laughs> make Russell Westbrook. Uh, you know, a viable piece here. Would you still want the job? I guess your answer is yes. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, if I applied for the job, you know, like now, if the Lakers called me and said we want you to interview, that maybe that's a better way to put it. Then, yeah, you know, let, let's say the Lakers say we want you for an interview and be ready to come up with a plan to make Russell Westbrook viable. Would you take that interview? <laughs> that's the better question. That, you're right. That that that's a tough one because I'm like, man, you know, the the Lakers. I mean, we talked about it when, when Vogel was fired, and we talked about it. How, how does the Laker job look? I'm like, you're still coaching LeBron and Anthony Davis, and that's just just that's something that many people do not get to do in the NBA. There are maybe five or six coaches in the league now that can say they coach any player as good as LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, you know, you still take the interview. Um, in terms of the Russell Westbrook thing, I mean, it's it, it it's it's strange, but it's not surprising because I think there is a, it's realistic, you know, the idea that we may have Russell Westbrook. I don't know if it, I don't want to take too much from it and say that well, this means Westbrook's definitely coming back, because uh, we know that if something were to open up, 
he would probably be gone. But I, we also understand that there aren't <laughs> nothing opened up last season. So what's what are we? And things haven't gotten better since you know the trade deadline. So there's no no reason to believe Westbrook's still going to be, you know, still there's no reason to not believe Westbrook's you know going to going to remain, uh, you know, an albatross of a contract, an albatross of a contract. So yeah, no, I mean I I, I get it. Why that's something that the Lakers have been harping on. Um, I also say about this Lakers coaching search, really weird name so far. Very, um, a lot of retreads, which yeah, so Terry Stotts, they look, they look, they were Terry Stotts, Kenny Atkinson, (laughs) you know, like someone else, uh, that I mean, Darwin Ham, not a retread, yeah, um, but they're not going for like flashy names, they're not going for star power. Um, not really even going for guys with like massive Laker ties. They're, they're you know, honestly, we're going for kind of like Frank Vogel type guys, you know. And well, again, I mean, one of them again, it kind of makes me wonder. You know, are these the only kind of guys that want the job? It, you know, that's, keeping, what, that's, real. that's sort like, of what like, that says. Because like Terry Stotts isn't being talked about for any other job. Yeah, he's not. He's and not I like a guy. Him. He's he's like yeah, and I I like him too. But yeah, he's not like a highly touted kind of <laughs> coaching yeah. candidate. He's not a hot coaching candidate. And you no. know, uh, you know, a- you know, Adrian Griffin, you know, he's done a great job in, in, in Toronto. He's not necessarily, you know, a guy that you're looking at and say, Oh, this is a guy people are knocking down his door. Uh, you know, Charles Lee also on that staff. Charles Lee got an interview? Yeah, Charles Lee also got an interview. Um Yeah. I mean I'm cool with the names, some of them, but it's just it's like again, it's not the there is no crazy, you know, wow name from a from a, again from a name standpoint. Not, you know, it, it, great coaches aren't just sitting around at home. You know, a lot of them guys are employed, but still, there there isn't a a great name just out there that's that say, oh, he's definitely someone that's going to be interested. You know, we wondered if you know Doc Rivers would. Would uh, enter that fray. It sounds like Philly still. Wants he was on my Quinn Snyder. Yeah, he was on my Quinn Snyder. I haven't heard much from him into in this search. It's now. What's also interesting is the Lakers are taking a very long time. But they said they would. They said they they would not rush this. I kind of didn't know if I believed them, but they they that's been the case. They they've been kind of slow walking it. So I don't know. The answer and the reason why I asked that question obviously it's for the audience is because. Um, the word has been that the Lakers, the people, the candidates that have been going to interview the Lakers have been asked to talk about their plans to utilize Russell Westbrook in an effective way next season as if he was still on the roster, which has led people to believe that Westbrook would then be on the roster. Because why would you be asking a coach to do something that is not something that you foresee happening? It also could just be due diligence. Again, they could say, look, we're going to get this guy the hell out of here, but in case we can't, let's get a guy who knows what he's doing. If we do have Russell Westbrook, you know, it can go either way. But I ask that because it just makes it to me, like when I heard that, it just dawned on me you know, just, just how bad this Laker job is. And I, when I say bad, it's not like it's completely devoid of talent. You know, LeBron James is still there, he's still a top level player. Anthony Davis had a terrible year, but we do know what he's capable of. He's still a younger player. So you got decent pieces there. But it's just when you think about the expectations, you think about 
what it means to be the head coach of the Lakers and what is realistic for this team. Having to battle that and and weigh that and, and balance that while also trying to make this Russell Westbrook thing that we saw didn't work, make it work. I, I'm not taking the call. I say thank you. Thank you, Jeannie Buss. Uh, you know, I, I respect your family. I respect everything you've done for the game and, and what the Lakers mean to the city of Los Angeles and to the world. But uh, I'm a pass. If I get that call, they're asking me about how to make Russell Westbrook work. Because the Westbrook thing is just, it's radioactive, man. Like, some things are just radioactive. It's not necessarily all just ball, honestly. It's, a lot of it is ball. I mean, trust me, just on a basketball standpoint, that thing just does not work. But the, the, the city and the fans turning on him the way they did, uh, the way he just, the way he acted all year, you just can't, I, I just don't know how anybody, you're expecting a, a new coach who's trying to imp, implement, you know, their footprint on the team, and you're going to ask them to, to, to try to figure that out. I, I don't know. Maybe, but then it also tells me they must have zero chance to trade him, maybe. Like, that That was one thing I, I took from that story. It was like, wow, n- nobody's taking Russell Westbrook. And I guess that shouldn't be surprising, but I, I just thought with a full off season and teams becoming more desperate that maybe, maybe somebody would take Westbrook if they were able to get unload some really terrible contracts on the Lakers. Kind of like, honestly, what we saw from the Porzingis trade with Dallas. You know, I thought it'd be something a little similar where maybe some teams got to take back some terrible contracts, but the Lakers say, hey, maybe we could make these role player guy work. And that's what Dallas did. Dallas took back Dinwiddie, and he's worked out well. Bertans hasn't really worked out that great, but, you know, one out of two ain't bad because they weren't getting what they wanted from Porzingis. I thought maybe a trade like that on a larger scale because Westbrook has even more money owed to him than Porzingis could happen. But maybe, maybe just... And that, and that makes me wonder, what does the rest of the league know about Russell that we don't even know? Where he's that radioactive. Where even on a one-year deal, nobody will take him at $47 million. This is, a, this is a fascinating, fascinating thing to follow for me. But I think that's a place to wrap I, it. For the, oh, sorry. No, I don't want to cut. Okay, what, what do you guys say on that? I didn't know if you had anything. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that uh, maybe Rob Polinka and Jeannie Buss have been watching a little too much winning time. You know, like we need to find a Jack McKinney man. We don't need, <laughs> we don't need one of these names. Just you find, find, find a Paul Westhead who's teaching, teaching, uh, you know, English literature uh, in college, because that's what Terry Stotts sounds like to me. That's what Darvin Ham sounds like to me. Does not sound again. No star power there, but could wind up leading, leading you to a championship. So. I will make the I will make the bold prediction. Like if this was a gambling, you know, this would be probably like a very low odds considering what we're knowing about this search. I will make the bold prediction that a big name will take this job, but it's just not someone that we know yet. So someone that's pretty pretty household name in yeah. the basketball world. Yeah. I, I can tell you who it is, but yeah, I to think the Lakers did all of this. And all this talking and stuff to hire Terry Stotts, it just doesn't add up to me. Doesn't it doesn't add up. You know. But the Vogel thing was kind of weird when it happened. Yeah, it was. Now Vogel, you know, had a little bit more cachet. I think they needed Stotts. I think the Lakers are going through these guys. I think LeBron is gonna say, look, 
Let me put in the call to this guy. Let me see if he'll coach me. Okay, I couldn't tell you who the guy is, but I think that LeBron will convince somebody. Doesn't sound like the Dwan Howard thing has many legs. No. You know, I mean, we know it's not going to be someone like Coach K. I mean, Jay Wright, you know, is, is, is retired. I mean, you know, Coach I'm going to say nobody we've heard as interviewed for this job is going to be the head coach. That's going to be my right. bold take for today. I, I still I still keep going back to John Calipari in my head. Yeah, I can see something like that. I feel like now is the time. Now is definitely Perry the time. Yeah, to leave Kentucky. And, and make the job to the NBA. And I think this is, is the job. Man. Yeah, this is kind of the weird job that I don't know if he I would hire him, but I can see why everybody would think this would make sense. Like and first of all, you can't all, do all any parts, all sides. Yeah. You can't do worse. Like this this thing's already a train wreck. So I'm like, Cal Perry goes in there and wins thirty five games. I'm not gonna say it's because Cal Perry, you know, like <laughs> This thing's a train wreck to begin with, but it has upside. It still does have legitimate upside when you're coaching two superstars and and then Russell Westbrook, whatever you want to say about him. But you know, Cal Perry, you know, has a little. I'm gonna say I'm not calling him Phil Jackson, but you know, he he knows how to manage star power and manage egos. Um, so again, like you said, and plus his connections, I mean, he's not as connected to LeBron as he used to be, but his relationship with LeBron and obviously his relationship with Anthony Davis and Monk and some of the guys already on that team, you know, I, I, I could, and also the, the, the timeline of the team, Kyle Perry's old. So yeah, yeah, exactly. He's an old guy. So he's he's not not going to take the Sacramento job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's not, he's not taking the cat, you know, the Cavs a couple of years ago when it was like, oh, they stink. You know, and he's just, not it just feels like that. It just feels like that Kentucky thing is running its course. Yeah. Real quickly, because now we're in the witching hour of the podcast. <laughs> you know, where we're just freestyling. Yep. Has anyone thought about the idea of attaching AD to Russell Westbrook in order to get him out of there? Has that ever uh, been discussed? I don't think that that's. I, I don't know if I don't know if I've heard. I mean, people have talked about trading AD. I don't know if I've heard trading them both at the same time. I just don't think that it's worth. Like AD is too good to like feel like. Like if you're gonna trade him, you might as well just try and get a king's ransom back. You know. I don't think you're getting a king's ransom for him. That's the problem for me. Like in general. Well, I think you'll get a decent package, but I almost feel like whatever so I get, for him, whatever I get, whatever I get, him, it gets worse. But I get out of the Westbrook disaster. But you're not. But that's the thing. Like LeBron's not going to go for that. Like they're trying to win. You're right. Like long term, that that makes you better. But that's like Cleveland. Like tr- Cleveland, when they traded Kyrie for Colin Sexton. Like, I mean, yeah, no, you know, they, for the yeah. for the first round pick. And, and, and for, for the audience that's listening, that says EJ's an idiot. Like I could be. I, I, again, this is not something that's I've looked up or even thought. It's just I did. It came to my head, and I said, I'm talking to my guy, so why not bring it up? I don't know. I guess to me, and my 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 my. Thought behind it is okay. You cannot trade. You cannot attach any picks to Westbrook because nobody wants picks from twenty eighty four. You know, so so that's not working. So all right, well, what else could I do to get rid of this guy? And it's like, well, what's the most valuable piece? Well, the most valuable piece is probably still Anthony Davis, even with his injury issues. And it's like, well, could I get a bunch of really good players for AD and attach Russ to that terrible ass deal? I don't know. Maybe. Like, maybe you can get some pretty good players. Like, I guess the idea that I'm, like, I could just 
I'd rather just try to make it work with LeBron if I got to keep Russell Westbrook. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather just work, like, just keep the AD on the team and just figure it out. But if I can get rid of Russ and AD, and maybe my AD package takes a little bit of a hit, but remember, they got to match a lot of salary to make that trade work. Because, you know, AD's making 30, 40, 35 million, and Russ is making, you know, 45, 47 million. That's like 80 million in salary you got to match. And you could probably get a lot of players for that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you're talking about the whole problem with the Laker team is that they're not deep and they got they got a, a lot of holes. You may not get the best contracts back, but you probably get a decent roster back. And could I convince a team to take on AD? If they even they got to deal with one year of rust? <laughs> I'm just saying, not to, not to quote OJ, but I'm, I'm just saying. I, it's something that I would at least think about. I would have to go through the trade machine and see, like, what, what, where would he even begin for a, con- a trade offer that involves AD and Russ? Because again, that's that's a lot of money. But it's something I was just pondering randomly as we were talking about this hellhole that the Lakers are in, where, as I keep saying, the only way to <laughs> the only way to escape the hellscape is to trade <laughs> Westbrook for John Wall again. Like, I just there's got to yeah. be something else they could do. So I'm just I'm trying to help the Lakers fans out. Lakers fans probably maybe they want to punch me in the face for suggesting trading AD as well as Russ, but I don't know. I, something's got something's got to change. They got to figure out something. So that's I don't I'm know if there's any Lakers fans that are going to punch you in the face for suggesting to trade AD. Well, I mean, I mean, trading no, AD no... and and Russ probably they're like, yeah, yo, yeah. man, now now the package for as you said they they probably would agree with your case that the package for AD may be a little worse. I'd be like, yeah, but they got rid of Russ now. You know, so We're, with the situation the Lakers are in right now, there's no dumb ideas. <laughs> no dumb ideas, man. Fair enough. You just man. throw everything at the wall and brainstorm, and hopefully, because you're screwed either way, no matter what you do. But you just gotta you gotta roll with the punches and hope LeBron can turn back the clock. Fair enough. That's gonna do it for this edition of New Generation. Sports Talk. This was a blast talking to my guy, Kendall. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to the conversation. Of course, if you enjoyed this show, make sure you check out all of our episodes on the New Generation Podcast Network. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media. There is a new YouTube video up that we just posted talking about an NBA draft versus between A.J. Griffin and Benedict Matherin very interesting conversation make sure you guys check that out that is up on our youtube channel you can find that on new generation media also check us out on social media we're on twitter new generation pod instagram new generation podcast and you can find us individually on social media kendall's on twitter new gen ken you can find me on twitter ej underscore stewart and on instagram action ej thank you guys again for checking us out for kendall i'm ej take it easy guys peace